Welcome. You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Nordics, a podcast constructed to enrich our tech community by connecting some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I am Christopher Asbridge, and I help connect businesses with talented freelancers, and I will be your host. And there we go, three, two, one, and we're live. Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Now, today I'm joined by Hakan from ATG, and Rashir from Kindred Group, and Krista from Odyssey. And we're here to discuss the gambling industry with these industry experts. Can't wait, pretty excited. But before we go any deeper, let's do a round of introductions. Who would like to go first? I can start. Uh, Håkan Sandström, IT manager at AGD, uh, handling uh, three teams, uh, tillsammans, the shops and customer journey. Tillsammans shops are shared bet teams. Working in front and back and testing uh, Scrum Master, all, all full stacks. Oh, very nice, very nice indeed. Um, Krista, I'll let you go next. Yeah, I'm Krista, my... Uh... Well, I'm the founder of Odyssey and also the group CEO, as it so fancily is being referred to. Um, and we are essentially an affiliate uh, technology company uh, focused on uh, innovation, I guess you could call it. Okay, very nice. Pleasure, f- pleasure for you to be here. And Rashir, we'll leave you to the very least. For the very last. Thank you so much. Hey, my name is Rashir. Um, I'm a freelance uh, management and product consultant. I've um, been doing this for 20 odd years. And... Um, Right now, I'm working with, as uh, Chris mentioned in the introduction, I'm working with the uh, Kindred Group. Um, having a few different things to do, but uh, product manager has been uh, one of the key things that I've been doing in the last few years, months. Of course, I'm going to leverage some of the things uh, from my recent and previous experiences, but obviously it goes without saying that everything that I say today is uh, is my own, uh, are my own thoughts and opinions, and I don't represent Kindred here, but yeah, that's, uh, that's me. Great to hear, great to hear. Now we've obviously established a bit of context on each other. Let's move to the topic of focus. Um, we all work within the gambling industry. Um, so I reached out to each of you and asked you to bring a question around this. Like, what would you want to discuss? Well, what's important to you? You guys are the, are the experts. So what I'm going to do, Krista, I'll start with you. You came with a question of how can or should legislators stay ahead of innovation and evolution of the industry to ensure it accommodates rather than prevents innovation. Now, I know this is quite close to your heart. Can you, can you just explain a little bit further for me? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the uh, things uh, since, since founding this company a long time ago, uh, it's actually 10 years ago, was running into issues um, whenever we wanted to go live in any uh, in any market uh the legislators normally wanted us to to have a license uh, in a lot of cases sweden included we do not need a license because we are an affiliate product as such and this is something that uh, has since bothered me quite a lot i've seen this uh, happening in essentially any any uh, market that we've approached uh people simply find it hard to understand what it is that separates for example, us in this case, uh, to an operator, uh, once they understand the technology side of things, they do. Uh, then they see the difference. But I think this underlines a more important question than just you know, our case. And that is, uh, you know, from a legislating perspective, how do you prevent, um, how, how do you encourage rather than prevent innovation? And the way that I see it is that the legislating bodies need to be way more involved in technology and general development. They need to understand not just technical development, but also business development from from an overall perspective. 
how how can they get more involved? Um, and I, I think this links into a lot of the other aspects in in my mind when it comes to the evolution of this industry. Um, so so in short, that's you know that that's the reason for my question. Okay, Chap, so I'll let you let you take away and jump jump straight in. Then. Sure, uh, if I may. Then uh, yeah, it's definitely something that is um, it's an interesting topic for sure, okay, uh, Christopher. And um, I do agree that you know. There is a certain lack of freedom as compared to certain other industries uh, because gambling is such a highly regulated industry, right? So, so there, therein lies the uh, dilemma: of how do we innovate while still being compliant or, or adhering to the rules? Uh, that said, I want to say two things. The first one, I think, is uh, if we are just looking from a you know, regulator or a legislator's perspective. Uh, I don't see that it's their job per se to to think about, right, we're going to come up with this new regulation or new policy. Huh? How is this going to impact innovation from the operator's perspective, right? So that, I, this is my personal opinion. I don't think they would probably think about that or they don't even have to think about it. That said, uh, of course, there are still things that we as industry and them as regulators could collaborate on to ensure that we are not pigeonholed into a, a, a solution because the regulator regulation itself is so strict. Now, yeah. how do we do that, I guess, is probably what, what's more interesting. And, and and number one is is to work closely, right? We, we, we need to work really, really closely with the regulators, um, both on an organizational level. So so there, there are two parts of that. One, we could do it on an industrial level. Right, we could come together as different operators. We could come with our, and, and we could take each each market, each jurisdiction is different, right? So, so let's take let's simplify. Let's take Sweden as an example. So, if if there are 15, 20 operators in Sweden, we could collaborate on a Swedish level and say, right, here are the challenges that we face because the regulations are too strict, or uh, the the upcoming possibility of regulations is also so. So there, that that's an industry wide uh, collaboration. That's one. The other collaboration is that, of course, we uh, we could directly within the organization, and and this could be a, a group of our legal representatives. It could be product managers. It could be business. It could be people from tech who sort of have a very close, ongoing dialogue with these regulators, with these legislators, so that and then it goes both ways. We sort of know in advance where the regulations are going to go, so we are better prepared for the upcoming changes, but also the other way around, where we get a chance to show them what, what we really do with our technology, with our solutions, and how we are still being compliant, even with an upcoming solution, maybe which is one year down the line, we are, good, we are planning to be compliant with that solution in X, Y, and Z way, which on the surface, just by listening to it, product like Oxium or something else sounds like wait that this this is a complete breach but when you actually understand the the details behind it so, so that communication would help uh, both sides uh, and and the, the last thing I want to say before maybe how can you jump in it is that when we talk about this industry um wide collaboration that I just mentioned before, right? Now, th there are many different ways to go about that as well, because what we could do is that on the, uh, if, we, if we take Sweden as an example again, right, that the challenges there are going to be different than a UK or somewhere else in Europe or US or somewhere, right? So, so depending on the kind of operator you are, depending on the amount of investment you have in the market, you might have a, a better relationship uh, compared to an, an another uh, gambling operator in the same jurisdiction and that's where you know if we if 
the operators could share this collaborate and then go together as as a group to discuss and sort of mediate like what, what is and shape the direction of of where the regulations can go for that jurisdiction in the coming future that's going to be extremely beneficial so yeah those are some of the things that come to my mind and 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 i i totally agree with you however there's one thing that i think needs to be underlined because you uh, you are referring to operators as an example um now uh, in our case we're we're an affiliate right um so that's the other aspect we are we have different parts of this industry and they should all be represented in that kind of group right um that's one thing uh, and with that said i also think that there's a, another aspect related to this which could also um have issues for for example for younger startups you know they might not have the uh, the lifespan or the duration to wait for a year for example to prevent uh, to present something and and expect that to to be handled uh, accordingly by the legislating body so there are aspects of this where i do think I, I i agree with you i'm not opposing to you but I think there are aspects of where I think the uh, legislators need to take a bit of lead and actually follow things. And I'm thinking along the lines of, say, AI, for example, what's happening there? Are there things that we could or should be using in our industry? Uh, I'm sure there is, you know, both from sort of a problem gambling preventions and, and these sort of things um, that we are at least looking into from our end uh, with the data that we have access to. But all of these different things combined really underlines to me the importance uh, of this. Uh, sorry if I sort of stepped in between you uh, there, Hawker. No, I, I totally agree, but it's uh, the leg legislation and we still talk about people that are gambling here. It's, uh, mm. it's a fine line of making profit on people and uh, people not gambling too much and, and so on. You still want people to gamble, but they want uh, what we call green gambler uh, that are... So therefore, I think the, the legislation is a little bit, uh, it's strict, but it's strict for a reason in, in Sweden. Uh, but it, it sometimes, it's, as you say, in AI, it could be very interesting to see uh, if mm. the AI could look at if people are in the risk uh, area or, and so on. So it's and you, have a lot of, you have a lot of companies in that uh, line as well, that they are looking into the AI and, and of course, the uh, in particular, finding these different types of patterns and so on when it comes to problem gambling. So that part, I'm sure that the, uh, the regulators would be happy to see more of. Um, but usually these things come sort of combined with general evolution and, and development, is, is my experience at least. Yeah, and also what you say that more collaboration between uh, the gambling companies and uh, the government that or but who is responsible for this because they could have like a new law and they implement it in like two months or something like that and they don't understand how much effort it takes for a gaming company to to develop these new things yeah uh, so we need to be they need to be a little bit more ahead so we can develop it uh, and so on so on. and also think about it and come with another solution or yeah so we can discuss it together with uh, the people that makes the law. I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Now, just to clarify, Christopher, as well, like when I was quoting uh, and saying operators, I didn't mean to exclude the affiliates or anything like that. But what I meant is any organization who is building products within and, and has to follow these regulations. So it can be affiliates, operators, operators that I'm used to, so I used it. But, but 
so they should work definitely closely directly if possible with these authorities and if not possible directly for whatever reason that's the part where uh, we as an industry should maybe collaborate together affiliate operators everybody together and then yeah. try to find the, the right path and just one more note on not the your example around ai is definitely not it's is that it, it's not irrelevant it's definitely very relevant but i just want to draw attention to the fact that ai as an example that you've given is is extremely extremely new right i mean not just in gambling ai as it and it's coming into mainstream in the last three months the ai explosion has really come to the front right so that it's that new right so ai blockchain all of these things are so new um I'm not disregarding those, but what I'm trying to highlight is that there is a much more basic problem here of understanding a Java application or whatever application that you're building. Even that simplistic application uh, or solution or whatever that you call it is not fully understood by regulators and these authorities because, as I said in, in the beginning, it's not necessarily their job to understand code, right? It's going it's going back to my consulting days of which now but when i used to sit across cmos and cfos and and then try to explain to them how let's say an e-commerce solution would work well these are marketing guys these under they don't understand technology right so so there's always going to be this gap between someone who's meant to do a job x versus understanding a technical solutions that app needs to be constantly bridged and then when we get up to a certain level like okay now legislators and these uh, authorities understand a certain basis of uh, these gambling solutions now then we can speak about right where is ai gonna take us where is blockchain gonna take us but i think the basic gap is still there and hasn't been addressed yet mm. yeah no, and and i think you're probably right you know again this is it's not an easy uh easy question to just sort of solve in a snap uh, i think it's it's you know by the nature of it it means that things are evolving and things are happening over time so it, it's more to to discuss, you know, what could we expect from the regulator in this case? What should we what should we ask of them to, you know, could we ask of them to get more involved, uh, or, or, or you know, foreseeing when it comes to technology and, and general evolution? That that's basically my my view of it. And I think this extends into more things. It's not just the regulators. I mean, it's. Um, it's things like uh, Google and Apple, for example, and and the way that they work and that they refer to the regulators and the regulating uh, sort of aspects of this. And they simply don't know exactly what's going on either. And they can somehow, uh, you know, prevent us from moving forward, both us as a company and, uh, you know, operators and, and so on. So it's it, it yeah. multifaceted. Yeah, I totally agree when they talk about Google and Apple, because uh, when you were released on app and depending on, I talked about this with you guys before, it's depending on who you talk to at Apple or Google, uh, if it's approved or not approved, it could be approved every third time or uh, so they don't really understand what we're doing. They don't understand what we're doing, and I sometimes think that they don't really understand the the, the law. Exactly, uh, which which makes it kind of a, a random outcome. Yeah, uh, which is even more problematic, I think, for anyone in this industry. You know, you don't really it's it's hard to predict when you're going to get approved, when that or when you're not, yeah. and that can of course have an impact on everything from from you know your marketing plans to uh, various investments and so on. So this is ultimately it's it's a multifaceted problem that's not easily addressed by one uh, but i think it, it it sort of affects the entire industry in this in this case yeah i fully agree and just on the uh, google and apple example it's uh 
nobody wants to be in breach of something that is considered a law or a regulation. That's number one. And the second thing is the fines in our industry are humongous, right? So, and 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 the bigger the player, potentially the number of uh, the bigger the operator, uh, the more the players with that operator, which means the fine potentially is bigger. And then going back to Apple and Google, that sort of applies depending on the situation again, right? So, but then. Again, I fully agree with you, Krister. <laughs> There's no silver bullet to this. But again, if we go back to that initial comment that I made, and if we could work together, right, and then include Apple and Google sort of providers into the mix as well, you can call them affiliates, you can call them platforms, you can call them whatever you want. Um, and then we say, right, so we, we sort of map out an end-to-end -end process. Again, it sounds simplistic, but we, we can only say what we can say in the one hour we have here. But um, well, we, if we could map out sort of a process, right? So we, we the step one would be, this is how we interpret the law. This is how our product design gets it. This is how the technical solution ensures uh, stability, player safety, security, et cetera, et cetera. This is how the release process or distribution to our players looks like on various devices. If we can draw this end-to-end -end picture and involve the relevant parties into those conversation and obviously have the regulators into the mix, then everybody understands everything, including what the law allows or not allows. And then players like Apple and Google are not really that afraid to maybe sign off on, an, on a new version of the app because they understand the implications, right? So yeah. that, that's that's kind of, I think, what is, what is going to help us. Yeah, uh, and I, I think that would be a great approach. So how do we do it? <laughs> how do we think this through? Exactly. Are we having a founding meeting right now? Perhaps. <laughs> if we could, definitely. Uh, no, I think it's because uh, it's, uh, yourself being one of the founders and uh, you know CEO board members that, as you introduce yourself. Definitely. I mean, that's that's something uh, I would love to help you if I can. But you should definitely try and reach out and get get gather as many um, heads as you can who who are in, invested in this, meaning they they are part of in this industry in some form or another. And, and can benefit from these conversations that that is that is definitely if I was in your shoes if I had that title and and position I would just start by doing that that, that would be my... yeah, not not a bad idea not a bad idea okay chaps Chris did you, did you get everything that you sort of wanted out of this conversation I think so I mean ultimately we're we're not here to to sort sort of solve the the problems of the universe it's more more down to uh, having topics yeah. discussion and, and and I do think that the uh, the answers and the, the sort of discussion as such has been uh, has been very interesting for sure. Great. So what I'll do then, I will move on. How can I come to you next? Yep. Now you came to me with a pretty cool question. So how can we attract skilled people? What is the biggest challenge? And how do we how do we think when we build teams? Now as a recruiter, this is a really like, this is a great thing to, to to talk about. But can can you go into a little bit more detail and just explain a little bit a little bit further what what you what you're trying to understand by this question? Yeah, uh, I mean uh, we are in a time where we want to recruit more people to to my company uh, and we want to have skilled people. Uh, but we also need to think when we build the teams that uh, if we just put in uh, like top senior developer, top senior tester, top senior scrum master into the team, it will be get a little bit too much seniority in the team uh, because you always want to have this like the thinker, the doer, uh, the analyst in the team. So build, build these uh, like almost autonomic teams uh, when we build these teams. Uh, and how do we attract them? I mean, you have to have the latest technology. Uh, you have to have like people innovate. They could try new stuff. Uh, you have to have like uh, team activities. They, 
they are um, the developers today are um, they are not uh, they are a little bit uh, not easy to attract i would say uh, they know what they have uh, and they need to have uh, not just a bigger pay offer uh, salary offer they need to have something more that challenge on them uh, we need to uh, rebuild the gaming system that we have how can we do that we need to try new technologies so go from java to kotlin uh, do uh, micro front and instead of a monolite uh, everything like that uh, that is my take on this one hi everyone this is chris bennett here and nordic's managing director here at evolution i really hope you're enjoying the podcast so far we're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. It's an interesting question. I mean, uh, just like you, uh, I've been involved in building teams, um, both you know with this company and, and, and others before that. I think what we've seen over the last couple of years in particular has been that the developers have become a little bit spoiled for choice. There's a lot of different things that they can choose to work with. Uh, and and I mean that just underlines the importance of what they do, in my opinion. Um, I think it's it's uh, it's a combination of different things. Obviously, just like you mentioned, you need to figure out different types of team team sort of building things and and how do you how do you match everyone in a team, both from a personality perspective as well as from a seniority versus juniority perspective. And I think when you look at all of these different things combined, it's hard. We're trying to uh, to recruit people for quite some time. No, and it's super hard. You know, people are very decisive on. You know, some people don't want to work in an office, for example. They just want to work from home. And even though I think most companies these days are relatively flexible on that point, you still run into that kind of issue. You have, of course, the the cost issue. There's a you know relatively high cost for for these uh, types of staff, especially in a country uh, where taxes are so high as they are here in Sweden with, you know, social fees and everything else. And on top of that, you want to maybe sort of sugar it with some kind of stock options and, and, and these sort of additional things as well. So it quickly becomes expensive. And then, of course, what do you do to keep those uh, developers and, and staff that you manage to attract uh, when there is such a lot of other great options out there, uh, both in our industry and, and others? Uh, with with that as you know, with with that having having said that, I think that the other aspect that we also need to keep in mind that a lot of people have um, have certain more sort of morale aspects of what we're doing, and they simply don't like the, uh, in their view, unethical industry that we may be working in. And this is also another aspect where I think we, as a as a group of uh, leaders in in this industry, we need to sort of move forward. And ensure that we uh, we push the ethical side of of that as well uh, to ensure that we do take necessary steps to prevent problem gambling and you know ideally supporting those that actually have that problem. Um, 
and so on. So there's a lot of stuff that that needs to be done for sure. And I, I don't think it's a, it's an easy thing to just solve. Um, but I I know precisely what you mean, and I know that it's hard to find and and build that team that stays together and sort of grows stronger and stronger. It's it's very hard when it's such a competitive landscape. Yeah, it's it's also interesting when you say about this ethical stuff. Uh, it's happened from time to time when you meet people that uh, you want to to start working for you that they have this. Uh, Okay, you work in a gaming gambling company. How is uh, your uh, anti-money laundering things you're working with? How is responsible gaming and everything like that? And we like uh, we we want to be like a green company. Uh, all our players are are protected, uh, but it's it's still it's some people don't want to work with game uh, gambling, uh, military industry, tobacco, liquors. Uh, stuff like that so but it's as you say it's it's hard challenging i would say yeah definitely challenging for sure so yeah i can jump in there and even justify that further the amount of people that i speak to and even when we speak to people we'll go well, what industries do you, would you want to stay away from and you, nine times out of ten they'll say hey listen want to stay away from gambling and uh, weapon industry as well so that adds extra strains on on an already limited market as well so that it puts further strain on which is a bit of a nightmare as well yeah yeah, yeah, no, fully agree, and I think this is a, a such an interesting and uh, deep conversation that we could speak about this for hours, right? Because there are so many aspects to this, and and I'll try to cover that that some of the stuff maybe was mentioned already. So, the perception, right, the the negative perception of the industry comes from many different things. One is also cultural, right? So, depending on which part of the world you're hiding in, or which part of the world you originate from, or what values you've grown up with as a society, as a family, right? So, it goes really deep. It goes on a personal level. So, having trying to eliminate that is going to be extremely hard. Precisely like you said, Ogan, there are so many industries, yeah, alcohol, ammunition, and so on, that were probably those those perceptions might never change for certain individuals. So that so that's that's one thing. So what I'm trying to say is that. If an individual does has serious concerns about working in a gambling industry, that person probably would never apply, irrespective of what efforts you might take. So, so we have to start by accepting that there's a certain percentage of the population, the developer population, if you're talking developers here, uh, who would probably never apply, who would probably never be con- con- convinced to switch and take sides. So there, there's. Uh, we're getting psychological, so I'll, I'll park that there. But but then for the rest of the rest of the uh, people who might uh, be swayed into you know seeing that yeah this is not a bad industry, then obvious stuff is 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 of course to make sure um, the the compensation is great. And 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 you guys I'm sure know this right that there are jobs that pay better if those are more harder to do if there are more, more trying circumstances like if you work on an oil rig or something yeah i can't think of anything better right now but but you get the idea like the harder yeah. the job the difficult the the environment the more charging it is it's more highly paid so maybe again just throwing it out there and maybe there's there is a uh, there's some gain in, in in thinking about us in, in those terms right here, we work with an industry. We know uh, all the safer gambling stuff we do. We we know all the responsible gambling things. We are I, I'm I'm doing it on a daily basis uh, with Kindred as well, right? And I can speak about our journey towards zero, where we're trying to get zero revenue from harmful gambling, and we're like AI and machine learning and stuff like that, right? So there's a lot of great stuff that we're doing there. But let's assume that that's not obvious to the world. Right? So maybe there's a there's an argument to be made that should should the baby 
slightly higher, 5% higher, whatever percent higher in this industry, right? That's one way of getting there. The other way, the other way is, is, to, is to go back to what Krista was saying in his uh, question in the beginning, that being in this regulated industry and then talking about innovation and happen, the, the, the conversation we had previously was about how innovation is hampered. But on the same lines, there is so much that we, we've all operators, every single gambling solution out there, has just you know we we've managed to just throw out solutions just to be uh just to be in time for a certain event or a certain thing and to be compliant. So we've we've always sacrificed innovation to be compliant and to be uh, market ready. That's that's usually the case, right? So what I'm saying is that even today with the solutions that we have, there is so much potential for innovation and the regulations are allowing it. So the regulations are not blocking us from innovating we are in that situation but we are, we are not utilizing that so there's that that pitch that we could do we could easily go out and say here's a solution that we have we've, we've been using this for 10 years and we are sure there's a better way of doing this and we want brilliant minds like yourself and to come in and help us build the next innovative solution for x y and z so so that innovation pitch is definitely something that that truly applies and it's not just you know uh, a sales pitch on 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 a on a flyer or something like that so i think that's that's the other one and then the obvious ones that stay like you know really talk about your brand really talk about how how your brand is actually making taking the right steps in towards responsible gambling safer gambling etc and i think that that's I'm not going to go into the obvious ones like training and development and diversity and included. I mean, those are obvious ones. So I'm not going to touch on those, but the, the ones that I mentioned before, I think, are the ones that we can do as a gambling industry. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, I would like to add to that gen just uh, on a general sort of uh, view. Tech stacks, obviously, make sure that you always have something that is of interest and, and appealing in that sense. I think that's also part of the uh, the evolutionary sort of development uh, of of uh, the developers themselves. And then in line with that, I'm, you know, I don't want to sound though as if I'm repeating myself here when it comes to AI as an example, but one of the things that we have been looking into as an example has been in particular with the evolution of AI in the last couple of months can parts of this be you know, potentially uh, handled automatically uh, with you know with with some management uh, at this point so we are looking into such things as well simply because we are facing uh, issues in trying to to recruit the right up staff that we want and I'm not saying we could do everything rare not future but parts very specific parts that could potentially be relatively cumbersome and boring as well to develop and those i think would be great if we could automate and uh, leave the more sort of creative and, and cool things for uh for really good audience instead yeah i think ai is uh is definitely gonna help us in the future uh i think if we talk about not this year but uh the coming three four years they uh, would probably develop more and more uh, Depending on uh, on how the AI is set up and uh, how the AI reads the code and writes the code and so on, um, so it's going to be very interesting there. Uh, but also, as you say, that uh, we need to stand out, as Rashir said, that uh, when you hire people, you need to say put out this good thing that the company does. I mean, as you say, that you have uh, zero interest in people that are in the risk of gambling. Uh, uh, and what I say when when I hire people that all the profit from ATD goes back to the horse industry. Uh, and that is the truth. So uh, we need to like put up the good stuff also. It's not just bad to be in the ga gaming industry. And I think also this, um, because of the negativity it has, it's 
before the regulation here in Sweden, it was it was on the TV more or less. The, all the commercial that was on the TV was casino commercial. People got so fed up on the casino commercial on TV. But after the regulation, it's not that much uh, casino commercial anymore. So, uh, so that's a, I think that's a little bit a combination there. So hopefully in a couple of years that people think that the gaming industry is a very cool industry to be in. We have very uh, high tech standard. Uh, I mean, it's very it, it's very high transaction intensive industry. So if you're into that, it's it's the industry to be in. I would say. Yeah, I mean, in in line with what you're saying. Uh, you know, I'm just thinking Sweden in particular has had a has had a very high success rate over the last couple of years. Well, I would say over the last few decades when it comes to the gambling industry and, and general development of, of um, anything from services to brands uh, that stem from, you know, Sweden in particular. So I do think that there is a coolness factor that we could be be pushing a little bit so so i i agree with you and i, I think over time uh, what we've seen also is that a lot of people from other parts of the world they have migrated to sweden to work you know for companies like atg or you know betson or spotify or whatever it might be but in line with uh, the overall sort of surge of uh, high-tech companies um, and i guess you could co- you know you could call it like software companies in that sense that we essentially are we are all working in the tech industry more than just the gambling industry uh, looking at the transactions as an example i was just asking our developers the other day you know how many transactions do we actually handle um, you know have we have we measured that and they say yeah you know, on a on a busy weekend, it's like three hundred thousand odds per second. <laughs> what? Um, so I mean, it's it's super high if you think of it from that angle. And uh, you know, I'm sure that uh, a company like Kindred, as an example, is is even more advanced. You know, overall because of the way that it it works and and handles so many different markets around the world. So it's uh, it is a, a cool. From you know, if you feel that the challenge of these transaction-intensive things are uh, are up your alley, then it's definitely a very cool industry. Yeah, I totally agree there. Uh, I mean, it's it's in the gaming industry where it's happened. I would say, but it's uh, uh, it's a very tech challenging, yeah, tech advanced su- uh, system that we handle. And I think uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna jump in there. The, the, going back through your question, trying to re- summarize in a sense. Obviously, you say, uh, how can we attract skilled people? Why don't we just re- take away skilled and just how do we attract people? And then go that route where you might say, hey, we maybe need a senior, but if we get juniors in and train them up, you might be more interested in the industry. Would that be a better route moving forward? Or is it a case of, hey, we need seniors? Because when you go into the market, everyone you speak to, like, hey, I need a senior developer. Hey, I need a senior developer. Everyone says the same thing. Is it better to take the longer game and go, right, okay, we can get junior developers in, they can be trained up our way, and then they can have to take it to our systems and they're more likely to stay longer because they're enjoying themselves, they know what's going on. Uh, y- yeah. Uh, usually when we're taking seniors people, they are very high-skilled uh, developers. Uh, they are very skilled in Java, Kotlin, or whatever we're developing. Uh, but uh, when they come into ATG, they are on the same level as a junior developer when it comes to the the culture of the company, uh, our business and vision, and so on. Because that's that's you need to be at the company to understand them. Uh, but I, uh, you need to have a certain amount of uh, senior developer. But then you can put on yeah. junior developers to build this uh, uh, 
uh, the wide of uh, different types of developers. Uh, I mean, also, if you come directly from school, uh, then you can have ask questions that the seniors think it's, uh, why, we haven't think, thought about that one. Uh, why do we do this? Yeah, we've always done that. Uh, and the juniors say, why do you do this and why do you do that? And so it's like awakening for the senior also. So it's, it's good to have this mix between uh, juniors and seniors and all types of people. And also de- depending yeah. on which culture you come from also. Uh, so if you come from a not Swedish com- uh, not Swedish native, you have a different view of things. That's also good to have in the teams. I, I totally agree with you, Håkan. I, I think one of the, uh, well, some of the best developers we've had in our team, they've come in as, as uh, interns even. You know, they joined us. Uh, we've seen that they've been skilled. We've offered them a position. They stayed and then you know they've grown for years within our organization. So from that perspective, I that it can be good but there are of course certain roles that you need people that has a certain level of experience and it's not just that you don't think that someone more junior could do it i think it's 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 a matter of fact that certain certain bits and pieces you simply need to have the experience to be able to deliver on a timely manner that's ultimately what it's what it's about in in my experience at least now if you factor in the fact that it's super hard to get those experienced people to join you then you know, maybe maybe you're right. It could be better to go with the uh, with a more junior one and train them. But I think it's that balancing act. You want that team to be built with both the seniors and the juniors because the juniors can learn from the seniors and vice versa, as Hawken said. So it's that mix that you that you really want. Right, Hawken. I know we, we we discussed a lot there. How would you summarize the conversation we've just had for the last twenty minutes around your question? Uh, it's hard to uh, attract uh, the right people uh, and don't be afraid to hire junior people uh, and uh, the gambling industry is not the easiest uh, part to, to attract people to. Yeah. That, that in, in short is uh, say and also I think that's uh, if the people out here uh, listen to this uh, the tech industry is uh, the, I know the gambling industry is, is actually a tech industry people don't understand that uh, when we have the first uh, conversation when we hire people and we're like we're with this size of the uh, company is in IT, and they were like, "Wow, this is almost the half the company." <laughs> and this, I think, this as almost in the same companies everywhere in the gaming industry. The tech is big, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Hakan. What we'll do then, last but not least, Rashir, we'll come to your question. Uh, now, you came up and said, from a marketing, PR, as well as a resource perspective, what factors do you take into account when it comes to partnering up with other companies versus building things in-house? Now, now can you just explain this one a little bit further for sure, us? Sure, sure. So, there are, as we established in the beginning, or since the beginning, right, um, we have operators, we have affiliates, and we have so many third-party players out there who could provide some niche or specific uh, solutions to the needs of the gambling industry. So uh, I'm not saying Kindred is one of the biggest, but just taking Kindred as an example, because I am familiar with that, we we do have development capacity in-house to build pretty much anything we want. And if we wish to um, get additional capacity, we can do that. They are, thankfully, uh, you know, we are allowed, our budget or our resources allows us to do that. Now, that isn't always uh, the best choice. Now, without getting into too many technical parts of the discussion where, okay, it depends on the solution, depends on blah, blah, blah. This question is because 
I'm posing this question more to Krista and Hokan here. So first from a marketing and PR perspective, right? Because as we established in the beginning, Krista, um, there are so many implications of not following through on a regulation or breaking a law or being fined that when you enter in any sort of a partnership, it could be commercial, it could be technical, it could be any sort of partnership with another player in the industry, you inherit the risk of that player not meeting those regulations, right? So from a marketing and PR perspective, what are the thoughts that you would put into before you think about, right, should I partner up with blah, blah or not? And then also from a resourcing perspective, Hokan, because there are many different options always, right? One is to hire the developers, as we just said. One is to maybe hire a consultant as the hardcore on the screen, right? So you can hire a freelancer. Uh, or you could go in and say, right, there is another, uh, Otsium may not be the best example here, but another company like Otsium who, who have a bunch of development teams and can develop pretty much a tailor fit solution to your needs. So do you partner up with that? So that's roughly uh, the, the the context that I'm trying to get into without getting too far into the technical uh, rapid health. Yeah, I think from sort of a marketing and PR perspective, it, it all it all ultimately boils down to who the partner is, you know, and you look at it from uh, from a couple of different angles. Um, so, for example, if if I look at uh, whether we should be getting a third party crew to sort of build a, a certain portion of our system, we may be willing to do so depending a little bit on what it is. But from marketing slash PR perspective, I'm thinking more of, I don't know, white label type of solutions and these sort of, of things that we as a, we as a company we're open to doing that as long as it's not a company that somehow would potentially soil our reputation so as an example we we would never as a company we would never work with um let's say a company working in in a in a black market where you're not really allowed to do gambling type of affiliations and things like that or in a in a regulated market we would never work with companies that are not regulated in that market as an example so these are aspects that we as an affiliate technology company would need to take into consideration. When it comes to actual development of certain functions and features, we have been using companies in the past, uh, external companies in the past. And we've looked at, of course, what is their general reputation? What is their qual well output quality? And there you normally go by reputation and sort of recommendation from, from other people that, that you know. Uh, so in short, I don't know if that's sort of the uh, the answer to your question, but that's kind of my my take on it. Uh, we are not opposed to working with third parties at all. We think it can be um, highly productive. It can bring in a very, as Hawker was saying before, about you know bringing people directly in from school. It's essentially the same thing. If you bring people in from an external environment, uh, they can come up with some very cool and, and nifty ideas to to implement mm -hmm. and. Very different take on on development overall. As long as it's done within sort of the uh, the spec, uh, then we we are generally fine with it. Can I ask a couple of follow up questions on that then, Christopher? Yeah. So yeah, it, it definitely answers the the initial part that I asked. Uh, but then two questions. First one is, uh, do you do any additional due diligence? Because as you said, if it's a regulated market and there is a player that is very apparently and not regulated, it, it's sort of very apparent, right? So it's it's a uh, you would not probably work with that. But beyond that, beyond the, that apparent fact, and if there are players in the market who do seem compliant and regulatory uh, in line with the regulations and so on, is there any additional due diligence that you might consider from a marketing PR perspective? So that's the first question. And the second one is being an affiliate sort of a player yourself, how do you make yourself uh, more appealing to other players in the market? Yeah. 
I mean, if, if I start the, the answering the, the first question there, the first follow-up question, uh, we check, obviously, if, if it is a company that uh, somehow is wants to work with us in a in a regulated market, we check if they have a license or not. If they don't, we, we won't work with them. If it's, a, if it's an operator, if it's, a, let's say, a white label that wants to work and actually utilize our technology, but under their brand, uh, then we make the assessment whether it's something that could potentially be harmful for us. Uh, so we do make some some level of due diligence, of course, uh, and that varies depending on who the who the brand or which what the brand is uh, that wants to work with us. Um, now, regarding, sorry, what was the, the the second question again? How do you make yourself more appealing to work with? Yeah, so so what we do from, from that angle is that we are trying to uh, ensure uh, both the legislators as well as any operators that do work with us that we are only taking uh, regulated traffic uh, and that in terms of working for us in that sense um you know from a tech development perspective we want to make sure that people understand that we are really state of the art uh, so from a tech stack perspective we are using all the latest uh, things that you could possibly imagine uh, and we are probably without saying too much developing uh, some of our own as well that really sort of stick out uh, in terms of different parts of technology so we are focused on on trying to be as as attractive as possible to attract you know the, the right type of people and stuff. Uh, and for external parties, it's the same thing. We want them to feel that when they work with Odsium, uh, they should get the feeling that they're doing they're really at the forefront of technology and and sort of helping things move along. Right. No, that's that's great, Bishop. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Hogan, then from yeah. from your perspective, yeah. when it comes to like something huge that has to be developed, let's say we just six months, nine months, one year worth of work that you know that you need to embark on this journey. Yeah. What what, what factors do you take into? Uh, we uh, at ATD we do almost all the development ourselves, uh, as you say that Kindred does. Except for the, the obvious one, the, the casino games uh, and stuff like that. Uh, all the games that we put in, we don't develop ourselves. Uh, we develop, develop the interface to talk to the games. Um, but uh, it's what we do now is like uh, we're rebuilding the ga- the big gaming system uh, at HD. And that's more because uh, we know uh, how this works. The old system works. and want to build the same system with the new technologies. So the, the people out that actually ga- gamble on HD don't really understand that uh, we have changed the technology in, in the back and that that is a challenge but it's uh, uh, we have the power to do that uh, and also we feel very comfortable doing that ourselves uh, and also because if you develop something you need to take care of it after it's done uh, and so on so we don't put it on some other guys that handles it when we finally develop it so we do all the life cycle of the development also interesting and, and, and I think to sort of continue related to your question, uh, Roshir, is that if you look at what we are doing, we are doing, in short, very deep integrations into the uh, bookmakers, into the operators' uh, systems. So what we essentially become is is an extension, both in terms of the acquisition and retention side of things. I think we're quite alone in doing that. So from sort of a tech perspective, we are, uh, is my perception anyhow, um, we are definitely at the forefront of that sort of thing. And what we want to do is we want, we want to work much closer to the operators. So in some cases, we've actually been approached more, more as a consultancy firm to develop for some operators that rather than vice versa. 
So uh, it, it's been a little bit weird, but it, it's hap actually happened because we found some um, some weaknesses in systems and things like that that we flagged uh, in our in our due diligence of of making those integrations. Right. It was interesting that maybe you didn't mention those exact words, which uh, maybe I was uh, thinking some of one of you will mention is about the actual risk of as we've been saying. You know, we work in a regulated industry, and then. Isn't taking more in-house development, the risk goes with it. it. It either increases or it decreases depending on the strategy that you choose, right? And, and especially from a marketing and VR perspective, is there, a, is there is that a thought like, right, if we start developing more and more in-house, the risk is less? Is Maybe that's one school of thought and that's, is that a driving force or driving factor in your decision-making? In our case, it has been more leaning towards doing the majority of stuff in-house. Uh, as I said, we had, we've had we had periods and uh, certain tasks that uh, have been more focused on, on external development. But I would say over the course of the last few years, more and more of the stuff that we've been doing has been uh, focused on in-house development, primarily because of the lot of the stuff that we're doing is so proprietary. Right. Um, that we don't want to let uh, externals in on it uh, as such. There is always that risk. And even if we were to do proper due diligence, there is always the human factor that you simply don't know. You know, if you let someone external into your system uh, and understanding the full sort of width of the technology that you're working on, what kind of impact could that sort of have on your security over time uh, and so forth. So there are aspects of that that we need to take into consideration as well, especially since we are effectively handling multiple logins to multiple operators and so on at the same time. There is a risk involved in that if it's uh, somehow coming adrift. Right. How are we on time, Chris? We've still got a bit of time. Don't worry about the time, chaps. Honestly, don't worry about the time. How are you feeling with these responses, Rashid? What are your thoughts here? No, of course. I mean, both uh, Christian and Hawkeye have specific scenarios to, from which they have they have shared the views and 100% makes sense in, in, in the context that they are in, right? Um, so yeah, definitely. And and I think the answer to the question cannot be without a context. There is no one generic answer to that question. So I, I fully accept these answers. What I'm also thinking is that what I was trying to maybe spot, again, it's just three of us or two, two people answering the question. It's not representative of the industry itself. But I, what I was hoping to spot was, is there a trend in the, the players preferring or not preferring working with affiliates, partners, third-party systems, and so on. And again, based on the context only, it seems like the trend is we we do what we as much as we can and we don't work with someone. So based on this conversation that, uh, between uh, the, the small group here, that seems to be the trend. Yeah, and also the, that what we see that uh, people ask when, when they start to work with us is that uh, what our uh, cloud solution, are we going to cloud or do we still have it on-prem? That, that is questions uh, rather than do other stuff develop what we handle afterwards. Uh, so yeah. the, the target environment is, uh, is could be more interesting in or who develop it. Right, but I think is, isn't that a question more from the developers who want yeah. to understand the kind of tech stack that they will be working on, right? Yeah, there it is. Because I, I guess that, that that's a whole another area yeah. if we wish to discuss anything. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that. What does it mean for GDPR and data safety and so on and so on and hosting it externally on AWS versus 
cows and so on. So that, yeah, that, that, that the whole. That, that's a very interesting topic, though. I would like to expand yeah. on, on on that for sure. Um, it's it's definitely something that I think is is highly interesting, especially when you start to work across uh, multiple jurisdictions and so on. And uh, there may be certain legal requirements regarding where you store your data and how you store it, etc., and uh, and availability to to regulators and everything else as well. Yeah, exactly. Right, before we jump down that rabbit hole that will last another two or three hours, what we'll do there, chaps, we'll, we'll leave it there and we'll leave it to the next one. So thank you very much, chaps. I really do appreciate um, you guys coming out. Uh, Rashia, Krista, Hakan, thank, thank you so much uh, for joining this podcast. If anyone else like, listening wants to get involved, feel free to reach out to me. Well, then that, thank you very much.